Hello there, it's Jamila Jamel. Take a deep breath. Let your breath out slowly to the count of six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Do you feel better? Well, on my podcast, I Weigh, this month we'll be exploring ways to tackle mental health and feel better with guests like Simon Sinek from The Optimism Company, therapist Vienna Farron, comedian Neil Brennan, and many more. Listen to I Weigh wherever you get your podcasts. Friends, it's Sarah May. This is an episode about how to empower yourself by using compassion to rise above hate and intolerance from others. Because we all want to be nice and caring because it feels good. It rewards us. However, we are all human. and Sometimes it can be challenging to stay in that mindset, especially if people are deliberately cruel and hateful. When you don't understand somebody and their beliefs betray everything you hold sacred, it's a feeling that can offend every nerve inside you and incite the same reaction inside of you, which is intolerance for their beliefs. It's tough to be willing to understand others, especially when they express hate, brutality, or intolerance. It's like looking into the face of somebody filled to the brim with fire and toxic sludge, and they're spitting it at you. It can offend every sense you have to witness such a thing. And worse, it can infect you and bring you down. There are lots of toxic people out there, and the natural reaction is to stay as far away from them as possible. But when it comes to people you love, or people you have to love because maybe they're in your family, maybe it's people you work with, or the people that you can't shut out of your life, this is a set of tools to help you understand and empower yourself in the face of them. It's a way to better make sense of them or even relate to them because in the face of intolerance, it helps a lot to make some logic come to form. The instinct is to protect yourself, to run away, to shut down and soothe the hurt, lest this hurt you anymore. But this doesn't work when it's somebody you can't run away from, and it's only temporary to manage the situation. So there is a state you can graduate to, which is past the point of managing the pain. And that is one comparable to enlightenment. This is compassion. It's very challenging, but it's also freeing. And it can be a powerful solution when it comes to somebody you care about, somebody you must deal with in your life, like a loved one or family member. And this tool, compassion, is superhuman because you both rise above the effects of the hate And you also give the person trapped in the hate an acknowledgement of their own humanity, which can be extremely powerful in extinguishing their hate, something that ultimately you want for them. So this episode is to help you begin to foster this power in yourself so that you can help yourself in the moments you're being accosted by hate and also not be dragged down by the emotion itself once it's inside of you. And as you practice compassion, you will grow the ability to embody it. 
It will grow more natural to you. So you'll become like an impenetrable smile. And inside, you'll remain in this state of zen-like balance, which is awesome. It's like growing a armor that's built onto you. And this is a conscious practice, so it requires effort. But if you train yourself and you're proactive, you can stay out of the receiving position of another person's hatred altogether. Like, it literally will not be able to touch you. How awesome is that? So with that goal in mind, let's get started. What, the why, the how, the tools. Yay. Part one, the what. People in the world or in your life who choose to hate others for what they are, and often without reason, or sometimes for their own rigid reasons, maybe it's a belief in the wrongness of what others do. Judgment. Harshness. Intolerance can also be something expressed with willful blindness. When individuals or groups of individuals embrace blind hate, they refuse to be human. They refuse to give reason or cause to the hate. It's just pure hatred. Lack of compassion is also something that's embedded in the fabric of modern society. We are a culture of survival of the fittest. And so we're very competitive. We're individualistic. So the instinct is to put ourselves first, to defeat others and not soften to them, not to waste time with attempting to understand them. My grandmother was nice to anyone and everyone, including the most spiteful and hate-filled. I believe because she saw past that to the human inside who was being driven to feel such hate. There was a little kid at the church that she worked at, and I actually don't know if she worked there. She had a church group. It was in England. And these, this little boy, who was so full of hate, would come in and break things and I think would even punch her. And she would every day be nice to him and ask him, what's wrong, what's wrong? And he persisted to be violent towards her. And then one day burst into tears. And he asked, why are you so nice to me? Why aren't you like my mom? And that was because he was trying to provoke her into treating him like his mom did. And she would not do it, and therefore it broke down some belief in this little boy. He understood. He was, there's something not right. There's a misalignment this woman is nice to me. Why is my mom not nice to me? So in this seeing human in him, she brought it forth. All intolerance and hate comes from somewhere. I believe that to be true in all humans. So the face of a person that is filled with hate and intolerance is the outward portrayal of pain inside. And to assume that there is a human in there is to actually allow a human to come forth. When people still respond with rage in the face of being treated like humans, I think it's because they believe themselves to be bad and they're trying to make you confirm that to them. So for example, the kid was trying to create the proper reaction in my grandma because his mom was unloving. And to believe the mom was unloving was too intolerable because it's a little boy. So compassion is a powerful state, and it's 
shared with the most powerful spiritual leaders in history. Buddha, Dalai Lama, and but it's in a bunch of other, it's in most religions. It's the cornerstone of most faiths. The basic gist of it is do not do unto others that which you would not like done to you, which means basically never make anyone feel the way you would not want to be made to feel. And that is a really powerful way to think of this task because once you apply that filter, you immediately see how many things you do to others that you would not want to be done to you. And it's totally unconscious. It's something we most, most of the time don't think about because it's like a cultural norm. So for example, like if you're in a power position in work, you tell people what their place is. Sometimes that requires telling people they're wrong. And yet there are ways to do that that are compassionate. Most people, you don't put that as a part of your process. I think it's not a step in your thinking. And yet it's so powerful what it does for other people if you just begin to enact this slight shift in the way you talk to people. Which brings me to part two, the why. Why are people so full of hate and intolerance? Well, for the most part, People who are filled with hate and intolerance are expressing a form of fear. When people hate others, they feel vulnerable and threatened, and that's often due to low self-esteem and feelings of powerlessness. The hatred comes from a place of feeling threat. It's an expression of a reaffirmation of rightness and ego. So for even good or tolerant people, culturally, there's a built-in need to be right that often cancels out anyone who deserves compassion. And that is just the fear of being wrong. So this part of our brain, the selfish ego who wants to be right, is what is built into us by evolution. And it's primitive. And it's also useless for the most part. It's a part of the brain called the reptilian brain. Well, the reptilian coping brain. And it's the one we share with reptiles. And it's uh, the mechanisms we developed 500 million years ago. And it calculates threat. So when it does, it basically shuts down and sends you into a survival mode. And that is driven by the four Fs. Feeding, fighting, fleeing, and... Reproduction. <laughs> so reptilian coping brain is uh, this threat center that is an automatic response, and it doesn't allow you to think reflectively when you feel threat because it's helping you to just run. It's telling you, shut down and use all your blood to, like, get the fuck out of here. So because it's automatic, we don't even think before we act to protect ourselves when we feel threatened. Most of what we perceive as intolerance is actually this automatic stress response, this fear run for your life response. So in our brain, our reptilian brain brain is our instinctive functioning, and it's shared by all reptiles and mammals. And it's the oldest part of the brain functioning, because without it, we would not be alive. So in humans, this part of the brain is at the base of the hypothalamus, and it creates very strong automatic emotions, and they're all self-protective. 
So they cancel out a lot more of the rational thinking because it's to help us grab a stick and fight. So since then, 500 million years ago, modern humans have evolved and they now have a more advanced new part of the brain that we don't share with any other form of life. And that is the part of our brain that allows us to reflect and choose other than our instinctual, passionate, fear-based, survival-based actions. So here are some of the most basic reasons that people act from this fear-based primitive brain. This is usually why people are filled with hate and intolerance. One, they're filled with self-hate already, feelings that reflect upon everything around them in the world. Number two, it makes them feel better about themselves to put someone lower. Number three, it's a self-defense mechanism to push threat away. Number four, it's a lack of understanding that they are protecting with brute force. So a protective, protecting their ignorance. Number five, when people attach to the flaws of others, it's a way to protect their own terms of self-worth. Number six, they feel powerful to hurt others or shock others. Number seven, they have a history of abuse or a family member that created those thoughts in them. Therefore, they are modeling what they believe to be normal. Number eight, they feel weak, humiliated, and existentially unimportant. So the sense of insignificance drives destructive acts. It makes them feel big. So think people who assassinate famous people. Suddenly, they are real. Number nine, they are confirming the childhood role that they have been cast in by a parent or authority figure. So hearing you are a bad kid from everyone around you or being abused by a parent will create a kid who acts like a bad kid who deserves abuse. So they empower themselves in the face of helplessness by becoming the creator of their situation. It's just like the reason that a kid who is sexually abused will begin to act sexual. So in all these cases, tragic that people feel this way and that they are this way. And you might be wondering, well, why is that my problem? Why do I have to be compassionate when these people are spewing hate and they're cruel and there's nothing inviting about them at all? Why is it not better to just cut off and disconnect? Well, sometimes it is better because it's, it can be dam- damaging to you. But here are some reasons why this is beneficial, why compassion is a good thing. Number one, because it empowers you. You lose your fear of others when you make sense of them. When you can understand somebody, it doesn't mean as much to you. So this is truly a tool for strengthening yourself and empowering yourself. Number two, when we are in a state of closeness with others, the calm, relaxed state, this is activated by such hormones as oxytocin. So this is what first created the bond between mother and baby. And this is when we are in a state of mind that's more peaceful. And that's when we can actually reach new insights and mental clarity when we are free of anxiety. So it's a good thing to feel close to other people. It's, it promotes social well-being. It promotes intelligence, reflection. You want to be in this state, period. It's a place where you can feel the most human in yourself. Number three. Kindness is in itself a life beautifier. It improves quality of life via our social circles, and it ripples outwards. 
for the rest of the world. It increases enjoyment for all within society. So in truth, it's selfish because compassion promotes growth. It promotes the world looking nicer. It's, we want a society that is compassionate. We want people that want to beautify a city. We want people that enjoy being kind on the street when they're walking their dog. It's really a selfish goal. It's better to be compassionate. Number four, to leave kind acceptance is to succumb to the toxic force of intolerance. So this is your greatest tool always. The desire to think of others as you think of yourself, to relate to them as you would to yourself, will change the way that they receive you as well. It has the power to alter the force of anger because it's no longer validated. It has nowhere to land. Therefore, it loses its power. So when you come from compassion, you are not intolerant. And intolerance feels terrible. It feels like not human. So in your body, to practice compassion is to undo the sickness that is intolerance. Number five, it is to allow growth. It is to actually spread growth, which is when you see someone's humanity, when you actually give somebody the opportunity to be human, they usually show up. I mean, it's over time it will happen, but like you give somebody the window of opportunity to remember who they are. So when people are encouraged, they do a thousand times better. It's why people learn better when they have just simple encouragement. It's because you're not allowing the reptilian coping brain to take over. So when you express compassion to people that are possessed by hate, you have the power to undo it inside of them. And you have the power to invite them to actually accept themselves, understand what is going on inside of them, just by seeing them as human. And that is a, a powerful, incredible tool to possess. Number six, it is in your true nature to be compassionate. We are taught by culture to be self-interested and competitive, and our lowest form of thinking tells us, survive for yourself. But we as humans evolved past that brain, and we are gifted with reflection. So it comes down to choosing that part of your brain and staying conscious. It's truly in our nature because we are born wanting to socialize and to engage with other humans. As a human, you are hardwired naturally to be compassionate, no matter if the person is tied to your bloodline or not. So for example, when you see a person in danger, let's say there's a child about to fall off the edge of a balcony, you would not think before you would run to help them. This would be an immediate, innate reaction. It's not something calculated. You would relate to the child as one of your own. And it's because you see yourself in this person. It's the same reason that you cry when you see a person in extreme emotional pain in a movie. We feel for one another by default. So the only thing that stops this innate connection is a disconnection to our present and feeling self, a lack of consciousness, which is how many of us live all the time on autopilot. So when we are driving in traffic and filled with road rage, this is an unconscious state. 
This is a base level state. When you pass a human on the street who is begging for food and you choose not to make eye contact, this is a disconnection with the present moment. You can choose to cut off from your humanity and your consciousness. When your humanity is called forth, for example, let's say you see another human stop to help a person on the street, you would immediately be called forth and stop and help that person because you would become conscious of your humanity once again. So this reptilian brain takes over during times when we are stressed, when we are in a state of fight or flight. So that's the reason that a kind human being can yell terrible things at a stranger when they are stressed out on the middle of, you know, rush hour traffic. It's not because that person is actually so filled with hate for humanity. It's only in these windows of base level operation. That's what this is all about, coming back to your own innate humanity, to your balanced left and right hemispheres, and not resorting or retreating to the unconscious. Because when you're unconscious, you can just be an animal. You can be base level, selfish, ego-driven. You don't have to try. You don't have to reflect. But that's not what humans are capable of. It's not what you're capable of. It's not helping society either. So your reflective, compassionate, social, creative brain is what you have evolved to own. So choose it. Use it. It's awesome. And it's where all the fun good stuff is at. You're a human with a powerful tool. And this is a, a beginning for you to actually use all of it. So before I go into the tools, I want to give you a major ginormous caveat, which is about understanding the line between humanity and not. Compassion is all about understanding the humanity of others and relating to them on that level. But when it comes to the inhuman, you must realize that fact about them first. So if you're questioning whether or not someone in your life has human emotions, like if they seem to not feel anything at all or be capable of guilt, as a rule of thumb, stay away and keep a safe distance from their thoughts because they will often mimic the emotions and proper reactions of a person with feelings when in fact they are incapable. So what I'm speaking of is sociopaths, psychopaths, narcissists, the people that are damaged to the point that they cannot feel regular human emotions like compassion, sympathy, and guilt. Because these types of people will enact the real emotions of others it's called parroting because they act out the feelings of regular humans as though it, it like it's a it's a way to get what they want and they learn how to portray the standards that society rewards even though it's just to get what they want so often people like this will be capable of much worse evil because they don't actually care about hurting people they're incapable it's extremely dangerous and you cannot understand the motives of a person that doesn't have feelings like guilt because their motives are alien to us. They're not based on the understanding of the feelings of another human. So if a sociopath is put into a situation in which they will be rewarded by acting as if they can feel guilt and experience inner growth, then they will parrot or act out what a regular human would show. 
but they will never fully mean it. They will never fully be able to understand it because they're fundamentally different. Their brains are wired differently. And therefore, they're very dangerous to you because they lack the necessary ingredients to form sympathy. They feel nothing for the pain of others. These people are the ones who can commit atrocities like murder and rape. And they're also the people who enjoy hurting others. So everything is to create power or it's almost like play. It's like a game. So it's like a cat who can torture a mouse or who enjoys torturing a mouse. So the reason I am warning you with this information is not to say you should not exercise compassion with all human beings. It's to say keep a safe distance from the super sick ones so that you are not damaged or manipulated into believing that they are different than they are. These people are screwed, which sucks for them, sucks for humanity as a whole. And instead, feel compassion for them in that way. There's nothing you can do to change how damaged they are, and that sucks. But the damage must be part of your compassionate awareness. Now, it's a bit confusing, but when you practice compassion, self-protect at all times. It's about gaining understanding while protecting yourself from the toxicity within an individual. So sometimes that understanding will reveal that there's no humanity to see through to. So if you want to learn more about this, uh, you can read the book, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, which is a series of case studies about how these brains come to be, which is really tragic, but it might make sense of some of the evil inside other humans. It's basically... Um, traumatic experiences of violence, neglect, um, it changes the makeup of the brain when kids can't bounce back. And that's when things happen early enough in childhood. So the brain forms in a different way, where they are incapable of feeling compassion. They just are not like us. Something is missing inside. So I offer that to you as reading material. As we go into the tools, I just want to remind everybody that self-protection comes first. So if you're feeling you're incapable of protecting yourself in the face of somebody, that's a healthy reaction. So don't force yourself to involve yourself in their feelings, their thoughts, until you're ready. I think that often when it comes to family members, you have to heal, and then you can come to compassion. It's only after you've processed all the hate and the anger and the hurt that you're capable of compassion. So with that, here are the tools. So a lot of these are to stay conscious and not willfully cut off or go internal. So when we separate from others by using a wall of our own sense of rightness and it's in the face of the worst intolerance and hate and ignorance that understanding can become a great tool. Understanding why people can hate others for their problems or beliefs is the same as <clears throat> defeating your own intolerance. Because there's nothing worse than feeling that no one understands or cares how you feel. And so to be stuck in a place of intolerance to oneself is purgatory. Stay aware of the fact that you're on the easier side of the equation, no matter how much it hurts to see so much hate from somebody. 
just resume a place of empowerment because you likely know that the solution in an intolerant person is to have a desire to be compassionate. So the same goes for you. So the first tool is called grab the dictionary because there is a clear definition. You just have to look it up. So there's a reason people are the way they are. And you might've even found this episode just for that reason, because you've been Googling it. I love the internet, but truly this is one of the greatest tools you will ever have in the face of something so upsetting like hate. It's just understanding where, where it comes from. It's really what compassion is all about, assuming that people are the way they are for a good reason and attempting to approach the situation from that point. I know the harder situation comes when you cannot trace the path behind someone's why, but trust that there is a root, and if you cannot see it, know that it's because it's probably that bad. There is that much pain involved, and that is why it's incomprehensible to you. Number one. Number two. Your worst school portrait ever. This is a visualization to help you remember that people are sometimes just at their worst at a time that you wouldn't expect them to be. So picture you're looking at an old portrait of yourself. And let's say it's from any age in your life, but one time in your life when you were so angry and full of petty feelings. I don't know, let's say it's junior high school. I feel like a lot of us had those down pathetic, sad, self-hating moments in junior high. Or just picture any moment in your life when you were at your lowest. And now assume that that person is just like you. This person was a gentle and loving human, but life got in the way. So the reason I asked you to do that is we all have our terrible moments in life when we don't feel... We don't care. We don't care about others. We don't care about ourselves. And therefore, we're capable of acting from a place of hate. And for me, it was teenaged indifference that came from an in, more of a pervasive abandonment of self, of caring about anything. And regardless of what yours is, regardless of what person you're talking about, know that that person is experiencing their own form of low point. They're tormented and they're in such a lost and worthless state that they cannot possibly come from a state of love and understanding because they're just drowning in it. And no, that's not an excuse for their behavior. It's more a method of taking the inhumanity out of them so that you can tolerate them a little bit better so that you don't have to completely shut off from them and it won't be so personal. It won't be about you anymore. It's about them. So this one won't always work, but try to just get back to your own memory of a time when you felt similar. Relate in any way possible. When did you feel the most hatred toward another stranger? That's another method of relating to how they feel. Retrace an exact experience of feeling intolerance or lack of care for others and try and figure out what was it in you that created that feeling. Take it apart from the inside out. It likely has nothing to do with the other person. It just has to do with you and your feelings about yourself. So the key to being compassionate is to treat others as you would yourself. So you know yourself, but you don't know yourself plus a lifetime of 
anguish or lifetime that this other person has experienced. So to release yourself from the pain, put yourself in their shoes. Attempt to understand their point of view. Number three, stop the mosh pit. So imagine you are both in a two-person mosh pit and in order to help yourself, you just have to step away because they can't keep the violence going alone. Meaning, if you don't receive their barbs, they have nowhere to throw them. And it's just the best way to inspire peace is to seek to understand a person. Because hate and anger are fed by the audience receiving their message. Once you change your form of communication and resume a compassionate role, and you seek to hear their message, it's like the gunpowder leaves, and they're left with a choice to communicate or not. It's not about yelling to be heard, which is usually where the most aggression comes in. So it's like now they're going to be yelling at a smiling Buddha statue. Slowly, they will lose a reason to yell, and then the thought becomes reduced to what it is. So when a person has hate, and they get feedback from others that tells them their feelings are invalid, they grow defensive and enraged by that fact that they cannot be understood, that somebody doesn't feel their feelings are valid. So your non-acceptance of their beliefs is what makes them feel attacked. Alternately, when you seek to understand why a person is so filled with hate, they feel human, which transforms them from an expression into a person with an emotion. What can be hard for most of us to accept is that the person has the feelings at all, because they can be horrifying to a lot of people for good reason. It can be shocking and appalling to entertain the thoughts of a hate-filled person as valid, but this is actually a way to bring forth their humanity. I find that often a person doesn't actually feel the way they are portraying. It's just a flame of anger that has been fanned into a raging fire of hate. And the core of it is very simple and trivial when the heat is taken away. And it's usually fear of being found out as ignorant or just an overall sense of unhappiness with life. As a self-protective person, you might have an innate resistance to seeking to understand where a toxic person is coming from. And there's likely a part of you that's struggling with the mission in itself because it's like a fear of validating the act. So to engage with a sick and cruel person logically feels like it's honoring it, like you're seeking to understand a murderer and therefore treating them as human, and often they're not. So instead, recognize the lack of humanity within somebody as a form of compassion. Use the same tool to ground the overwhelming state of hate being expressed. If not for them, then just for yourself as a way to make sense of the world. There's a strong likelihood that you have a family member who is extremely capable of this same form of humanity. Like, you probably, if, if this is a person that's close to you, there's a good chance they are a sociopath. That's not something that only exists on the news out in the world. There are many of them in the world acting out regular roles. So if this is a tool that you are applying to somebody that's close to you, same thing applies. Keep a safe distance and look at them as almost like a clinical case, one separate from you, separate from the human. If you accidentally engage with a person who is a sociopath, meaning you seek to discuss and understand them and their feelings, it can allow their manipulation to flourish and grow more legitimized via lies. And that usually results in them 
blaming you and making you feel like it's your fault. So keep your wits about you. Know that sociopaths are everywhere. And if there's somebody in your family or close to you that has been completely um, hate-filled and expresses no form of remorse, there's a very good chance they are a sociopath. Number four. This one should have probably been number one, but it's the, uh, the golden rule. Apply the golden rule. And this is just the cornerstone of every, most every major religion. And that is, look at everyone as a mirror to yourself and treat them as you would like to be treated. Or the opposite, which I think is more effective, don't treat others the way you would not want to be treated. This is extremely powerful. Just looking at the world in this way, it's like every other thing. You're like, no, I just did it. I just treated somebody the way I would want to be treated. That's number four. Number five, lend them a cup of sugar, a.k.a. self-esteem. So a lot of people that are filled with hate and intolerance have really low self-esteem. So it doesn't cost you anything to add to theirs. And self-esteem is something that comes from two different places, how others treat us and what others tell us about ourselves. So as adults, our self-esteem is based on our perceived self, like who we think we really are, and our ideal self, who we think we ought to be. So it's based on how we feel about what we know about ourselves and the difference between the perceived self and the ideal self is the measure of our self-esteem. So if the difference between your perceived self, like who I am, versus who I think I should be, if that's small, then our self-esteem will be pretty great. If it's a wide difference, like if the gap is totally severe, the self-esteem is going to be super low. So it's sufficient amounts of self-esteem enable us to act in kind, compassionate ways. They enable us to also act in our own best interests, meaning they make us capable of being kind to others. So having low or no self-esteem can cause people to feel less than and stupid and unlovable and is from this place that they tend to act with complete intolerance to everybody else because that's how they feel about themselves. So this tool, to lend somebody a cup of sugar, is to help people with just creating more self-esteem so that they can be more human. Just have that ingredient to start. So some of the ways you can do that, involve them in your healthy, happy, productive life activities. Basically, tether them to the world of people that are functioning and good and successful. So, like, invite them out to events, get them involved in functions, like, show them that they can make a positive contribution. Number two, give them positive feedback. So, basically, give them affirmations, let them know when they're doing well, Tell them when they have succeeded, flatter them, commend their accomplishments. Number three, show them that you care. Like, if they feel valued by you and you are a person that has worth, then it'll rub off a little bit on them just vicariously. It'll give them a sense that they have value because of the value they are embodying in your life. Number four, 
listen. Basically, honor them with your attention. And the greatest form of that is to actually engage with them, show you want to understand, and then demonstrate that their opinions matter, that they matter, that they are valid. Everything that they feel is valid. Even if you're offended by it, just even going through the practice of listening is extremely powerful. Number five, be encouraging always. So try and inspire this person. Give them, challenge them and give them places to begin. Because I think a lot of the time when you're stuck in a place of pain and anger, it's like you can't see anything ahead of you. So just having one person that's telling you, go for it, try this, you can do it, try that, like it sometimes serves as a map in the darkness. And six, allow them to be human. So that is just forgive them no matter how inhuman it seems and how primitive and violent their emotions seem. Allow them to fit into the scheme of regular acceptable human emotions. I think when people are trying to get you to react in a certain way, it is because they're trying to make you confirm to them that they are not worth loving. They're trying to provoke in you a reaction that will confirm the way they feel inside. So if you can extinguish that just by treating them with humanity, sometimes it allows people to come out of their shell and feel like, I don't know, they're worth loving for the first time. Know that nobody is right or wrong to feel the way they do. Sometimes we're just born weaker in tolerance, or we have lots of experiences that make us feel insecure or low deep down inside. So this is why compassion is such a powerful universal tool, because it's a map to reaching the gentle, loving human that's maybe trapped inside. In closing, so this practice isn't instant. It takes a lifetime to grow into, and we all want change to happen overnight, but with practices of being, it is incremental, and it's change that's built over time. Just like learning how to cook is something that becomes innate as you do it every day, so will be practicing compassion. It's a practice, and then the change that results will be almost imperceptible today or tomorrow. The reason to proceed anyway is that this is a higher kind of goal. It's one that's built with cumulative acts, but it leads to an enlightened life that will change the course of history for everyone you interact with, and I believe the world. So be patient with yourself and with others and push yourself always a little bit harder. Because with compassion comes a heightened state of being, a calm, happy balance that enhances your life and you advance to a different level. But you must practice it every day as a consistent state of who you are. You must demand it of yourself. So this is a, an advancement, a personal advancement that is open to all of us. But we just usually don't think about it, really. I hadn't thought about it until a few days ago. But we all know people like this who are just innately good and non-judgmental, and it's almost like they're advanced souls, like they seem to have been born that way with some chamber in them that we don't have, and it, it feels amazing to be around, this person who is filled with non-judgment. What a carefree soul, what a carefree 
benevolent presence to be around. So I want that, and I wish that for you. And just like language eventually turns into poetry, so will compassion turn us all into pure love. So go for it. I hope you enjoyed this. Smile. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.